I think as a, as a startup founder, like you just don't know what you don't know. And so when you can bring some of the experts in, and I think there's a lot of companies out there that are pretty willing to give startups, you know, a pretty good break at the moment as well, to sort of help them get on their feet. And then once they do, you sort of, that's shows a lot of goodwill. And then you're willing to build a really strong relationship. You know, when you do go through your next rounds of funding and you've already got that relationship and that trust established, which I think is really important. Hello and welcome to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal hosted by Blue Drop Studio co-founder Anna Rowinska and myself, Omar Juman. This podcast has one vision and that is to educate, inform and inspire others who are trying to build their tech brand. Tune in and listen to us chat ideation, marketing, scaling and everything in between with up and coming entrepreneurs, stakeholders and investors in tech startups across the world. We'll be diving into the details and also hearing about the journey. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. In this episode, we're speaking with Angela, co-founder at Notarum. Notarum conducts better due diligence checks faster at a fraction of the cost. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Digital Spaceship Podcast. Uh, today we're talking to Angela from Notarum, um, based over in Singapore. How are you doing, Angela? Thank you very much for joining us on the show today. Um, please, no, give us, thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, please give us a, a little introduction to yourself um, and a, a background on what Notarum does. Sure. Um, I'm Angela, co-founder and CEO of Notarum. We are an enterprise SaaS solution which helps companies with their client onboarding and counterparty due diligence. Wicked. Um, so, you know, how long have you guys been uh, operating as a, a company? Yeah, so we've been working on this for a year and a half, two years now. Uh, my yeah. co-founder Jamie and I met uh, through a program organized here in Singapore. Uh, we did a lot of customer validation around the idea and decided on this this particular issue to solve. Okay, cool. And, and when was it exactly then you guys founded? Was it a year or two years ago? Uh, a year and a half. A year and a half. Okay, cool. Yeah, right in the middle. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So, so with that in mind, um, a year and a half ago, how did you guys come up with the the idea? Yeah. So my um, background is in private equity, and so I was working for a family office uh, here in Singapore, um, and we I was doing this counterparty due diligence process over and over and over again because we had investments in a multitude of different countries, mm. and it was the same issues that I was butting up against every time I was trying to do you know do a new deal or open a new entity, uh, those sorts of issues that were just a consistent problem for me throughout this kind of working um, working environment that I had, and so I. Um, met my co-founder in this particular entrepreneur first program Mm -hmm. and we sat down and we looked at the entire counterparty due diligence value chain and we met with over 150 different people and asked them you know what what are their main issues in this problem um, in this kind of workspace what do they like about the the way that they do business what don't they like what would they like automated and sort of what was that what does like best case scenario look like for them and we took all of this feedback and wrapped it up into basically a product design which is what we've ended up with now Incredible stuff. Um, and you mentioned, um, so you, you met up with your business partner. So is that a, a co-founder as well? Or are they more of a like a silent partner? How does that yeah, no, no, she's, she's a definitely, definitely co-founder 50-50. Yeah. yeah so wicked. I'm the commercial side of the business and she's mm-hmm. the technical side of the business. And we're kind of really lucky because there's not really a lot of overlap. I mean, people kind mm-hmm. of often ask you in a co-founding relationship, how do you decide who, you know, who does what? And I was like, she does everything technical because I have very mm-hmm. limited technical ability and I yeah. manage all the commercial side. Yeah, good. That's that's a great. Um, it's always good to sort of match those complementary skills, I guess, um, and fill out the the spaces which are currently missing, I suppose. But you know, I, I fully believe having co-founders is like the way to go. Um, mm-hmm. Super, super difficult to take on a multitude of, of yeah. 
dimensions that you need to sort of, <laughs> you know, fulfill when you're starting up a business nowadays. So it's, yeah, it's a great, great shout. Um, interesting. So if you guys started up a year and a half ago, have you, have you been through any funding rounds? So we've done our uh, pre-seed round. So effectively, cool. the way that Jamie and I met was through a program called Entrepreneur First, uh, which is run here in Singapore, but it's originally from the UK. Yeah. Uh, the whole premise of the program is to uh, get people that wouldn't ordinarily meet, wouldn't, wouldn't ordinarily spend time together to meet each other. So people form one of three categories. So I'm in the domain category, which means I know more than the average person about you know, one particular area. And in my case, it's, you know, law compliance and risk, lucky mm. me. Um, and then there's uh, there's the guys that do sort of like the product side. So they're the coding people. And then there's people that focus more on the tech. So they, they might have PhDs in physics or they might be a PhD in biotech or the really kind of deep tech people. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the program is that you link up with one person from one of the other two disciplines. So I think generally when people start companies, they do it with a colleague, a friend, or someone that is in their network, which means quite a lot of overlap in your knowledge and your skill set. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you do it this way, you kind of meet someone who's completely complementary to your skill set. And that's, we just got really lucky in that regard. Yeah, that's incredible. Awesome. So how much did you guys raise uh, pre-seed? So 75 uh, US is mm-hmm. what we raised. Um, and then because we did it through the program, we part of that, um, on top of that, we had a program fee as well that we sort of funneled back into the, into the company. Yeah, awesome. So I guess, you know, coming out of the back of that program and having successfully gone through it, or so it sounds, um, that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's an incredible thing. Um, how did they help you guys with your initial teams? And, and sort of how long did it take you guys to, to actually start building out your teams if, if you have started already? I'm not sure if, if you guys are at that position yet. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So the, the way it works is that it's a very structured program from the beginning. So the first three months is all about the customer validation. So you literally spend time just calling people who might work in and around the area that you're thinking about working in or working on the problem that you're thinking about solving. Um, once you get to the end of that, you visit the investment committee. And that's pretty, it's a pretty hardcore experience where a panel of judges kind of pulls your idea to pieces, which is, which is a lot of fun. Um, but that's, that's what's really great because they're, you know, they're really, really smart people on the panel and you get asked some really challenging questions. And that's always, you know, puts you in a better place a long term. Yeah. Uh, so we did that. And then once you get through the investment committee, you get given the funding. So as part of that, you then get access to the next three months of the program, which mm-hmm. is called the launch phase. So the first part's the form and the second part is the form, uh, the launching. So mm-hmm. when you're uh, launching the business, it's all about starting to build out those teams, starting to put together your investor decks, starting to think about, you know, your go-to-market strategies and all of those kind of key elements that you need above and beyond just a good idea. Yeah. Um, so, so when you, you started um, putting together those teams, what, what, what did they look like? Because understandably, you know, you, you're sort of handling the commercial side, your co-founder's yep. got like the sort of tech side under control. Did you build out teams beneath you, beneath you guys or did you sort of expand horizontally there? Yeah, yeah, no, um, built them out beneath us, um, but it very much feels like they're beside us as well a lot of the time. Absolutely, sorry, that's the, <laughs> sorry. the wrong way to put it, like vertically <laughs> no. is what I meant. <laughs> yeah. No, so the thing with a startup, you become, you know, it's a, it's a tight knit family before anything else. It has to be because, you know, that's the, it just it requires so much of you. Um, so we, what we, we went tech heavy first. So what we wanted to do was we looked at this scenario and we went, we are dealing with enterprise um, tech. We are dealing with very big, very smart companies. We don't have the luxury of putting something into market, which is, you know, a start fast, fail fast kind of scenario. You'd never recover your brand, your brand um, beyond that. So we went tech heavy. We built, um, built out the tech team in terms of backend, frontend developers and also our UX UI guys um, and put together that team. And we've been spending the last amount of time building that kind of the enterprise solution offering. 
wicked that's that's really cool um i think you know did you actually touching on that then so did you build out a team that was local within singapore or did you guys look for an, an international development team yeah so because we're you know startups are pretty cash strapped and singapore has some fantastic talent um it does you know they get paid quite you know quite a good wage here in singapore so yeah. you know obviously developed very de developed country so we went offshore so we worked with a company in vietnam actually um the way it works is that they set up all of the regulatory structures for us they hire the staff they source the staff and then we manage their day-to-day -day. so for us that was the absolute perfect solution um yeah you know, for, for the situation we were in, really good value for money and really, really talented developers. Yeah. What we're seeing now in Singapore is, um, thanks to COVID and thanks to, you know, the government's response here, is there's an overwhelming amount of grants and, you know, support for startups to try and help us um, hire local talent, but also, you know, get the local um, Singaporean economy booming again by hiring lots of the local talent we have here. So it's kind of helping us offset some of those costs. So now we're looking at building out some more of the team um, locally here in Singapore, uh, primarily around the sales and marketing function now, because we've moved to that kind of very exciting stage too, where we've, we've built the platform, but we need to get it into market. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that, that's, that's a really good uh, way to do it. I think, you know, we've spoken to a ton of different founders and investors and um, a variety of startup stakeholders, you know, and, and one way that we sort of heard it in one of the previous talks was, was like um, we were talking to someone whose their HQ was in London um, and as a startup you know if you're trying to hire talent within central London you're competing yeah. with the likes of Google you're competing with the likes of Amazon you know and the salaries they pay are pretty high and also <laughs> it's quite hard to sort of beat you know that value proposition come work with Google or come work with us in our garage type of thing and it's really yeah. difficult <laughs> so you do definitely have to sort of spread um, and, and look to see where you can bring talent on um, that you're not directly competing with these behemoths of industry you know it's it's, uh, it's a cool way That's to it. do it I think there's only so much um, your culture of the company can do to attract talent <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely um, cool so so moving on then so talking a little bit about MVP um, so you guys you about a year and a half ago you launched um, so between that year and a half and the first sort of product you've got out there to market or started testing um, and and taking on some traffic within uh, the product to understand, you know, what parts people like, what features people want, um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, when, when did you guys do that and uh, what did that look like? I think that's a never ending process. Um, so I think going back and forward, enterprise obviously wants the world and we've got a limited budget that we can provide, obviously as much as we'd like to offer them the world. Um, so I think for us, that's a never ending process that we go through. So we were quite fortunate um, that when we were going through doing our fundraising at the beginning, we got to meet a lot of investors and investors are one of our target, target markets as well. Um, so the VC PE firms. And so for us, every conversation we had was kind of like a two for one scenario. So it's all about time efficiency, I think, and trying to get as much feedback as you can about, you know, how do you think about how do you think about us from an investment point of view? But also, how would you use this tool internally? And is there someone else we can speak to, you know, about the potential features? So for us, I think it's a never ending, never ending process. Um, mm -hmm. And you just need to look at the resources you have in terms of, you know, capital and, and human resources and try and match them up as much as possible with what the, you know, the companies are asking for. But I think this is, you know, this is a great example of how startups are such a contradiction. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to you need to raise a lot of money, but don't dilute too much, and you need to get something <laughs> into market fast, but not too bad that's going to ruin your brand. And I think this is a prime example of of that kind of that kind of contradiction. Whereas you need to be flexible to provide the what the market's asking for, but also you need to be true to your product vision as well. So it's mm -hmm. kind of trying to do a, you know balance balance those two equities. Yeah, yeah tough. 
yeah abso- absolutely <laughs> absolutely so um have you guys actually taken on much traffic within the app up to this point have you had users in there testing etc yeah yeah absolutely so, we, so we're post revenue as well so we have that kind of side and so that's part of my main job at the moment is taking all these wonderful beta testers we've had over the last you know 12 or so months and really getting them onto the app on a more permanent basis okay so cool. but it's you know once you've already had that working relationship and they can see that you know, we have a track record of delivery. We have a track record of great customer service. The conversation becomes, you know, it's a lot more positive rather than coming in and just sort of saying, here's us and here's what we can do without any kind of proof, you know, behind us. So I think one of my biggest pieces of advice to people starting out would be get people on testing in a, in a, in the frame of a testing relationship because yeah. it helps you. I mean, they get to see the product. They get to work with you as you're developing roadmap as well which makes them feel a lot more you know a lot more ownership over the product as well and not and you know they really do have a hand in shaping your you know your your future and your offering Mm, incredible and you said sort of frame that as a testing relationship so i just wanted to touch on that so Mm. have you like incentivized people or provided maybe um financial discounts towards those who are joining at this stage or is it is it free um to join at the beta stage could you shed some some light on that yeah, so the beta test we've kept pretty open so people can use that, you know, and provided it is kind of a two-way street. So you can use the app um, and provided that you do give us feedback in some, you know, certain examples where we think there's a really good fit. Um, and then, you know, incentivized going forward, uh, we have looked at all sorts of different options and it really is kind of something we're still like a work in progress. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Um, I think that's a, a super tough one to figure out, you know, um, what, what you sort of have to play off to get people within the app to start off with when it's not fully developed and you still yeah. need feedback and stuff like that. So it's, it's a really tough one to, to figure out. So That's good, it. Um, good to hear that you guys are pushing forward with that. Yeah. And from, from our point of view as well, I mean, it's like the enterprise sales cycles are brutally long. So you need to mm. kind of factor all of that into your pricing as well, because you might've spent 12, or 18 months working on these deals before they actually drop. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's kind of a, one of those never ending processes. Yeah, incredible. So that, that brings us very nicely um, onto, and also you had just mentioned that you're, you're now entering this phase of actually trying to ramp up your marketing, create these strategies, go to market in a variety of different channels. So could you give us an overview of, of sort of what your marketing looks like at the moment and uh, maybe where you want it to be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this is a call out for any marketers in the audience that are <laughs> interested in giving us any advice. Um, so this is, I think this is one of the challenges of, of running a startup is that you have to wear so many different hats. And, you know, I'm a lawyer by background. So marketing, sales, these are not my, you know, not my core talents. Yeah. And so you just, every, every day is, you know, is a learning curve, right? And the learning curve is like hockey stick. Not, we're looking for hockey stick growth, but we've also got hockey stick learning curves for, yeah. for startup founders. <laughs> um, so from, from my point of view, we, I mean, Enterprise SaaS is not necessarily known as, you know, kind of being the traditionally sexy areas, payments are sexy, you know, this is not one of the sexier fintech areas. Um, But from our point of view, there's a lot to be done around efficiency. There's a lot to be done around, you know, as funny as it sounds, we are very much mission driven founders as well, because a lot of this process is is preventing money laundering, right? And the reason we have money laundering in a society is because that's money that comes from, you know, illegal wildlife trade, illegal weapons, drug dealing, like it's all this, this kind of, nefarious activities that we'd want to stamp out of our society and the way to do that is by stopping people having access to these funds or using these funds that they've generated from those activities and so for me it is very much personal personal journey about trying to stop some of these activities so that if we can leverage that kind of feeling in our marketing activities as well i think that resonates um with with a lot of people that are understanding like it's not just a paper pushing exercise it's not just a bureaucratic exercise there is 
real impact to here and real people that are affected when we don't get this right. Yeah, absolutely. So it sounds like, um, so are you doing the primary marketing function at the moment or have you guys hired someone in to help with that? Yep. Sorry, I totally ignored your question. Just then went off on my own <laughs> tangent. <right>. But, <laughs> um, so we are primarily doing in-house. So we've built out a little sales and marketing team. We have um, in here in Singapore who are helping put together, you know, the content, um, content strategies, content schedules, those sorts of things, content calendars. Awesome. Um, yeah. And we are looking at um, onboarding a PR firm at the moment to help us with kind of more of those SEO and content development type strategies. So, I mean, the content, the content marketing game, it just, it takes up so much time and you absolutely see the value in it, but yeah. it's just something that you need to actively prioritize on a daily basis. Yeah, absolutely. No, it definitely helps to bring on sort of like an external partner to help you with that at these beginning stages, especially when you're still, you know, you've got people testing, giving feedback, you're developing your product, trying to reach that like nice version of your first real MVP that you can take to market and all of these yeah. um, other, I guess, tasks and stuff. It's it's a lot to stay on top of. Um, but it's, it's interesting that you guys are, are working, I guess, building that out internally and then also working externally. I think that's the perfect way to do it. I think that's the best way oh, to do it is to have those internal stakeholders to, to sort of take control of the marketing activities, but also when the legwork needs to happen, you have an external agency to help with that and also to advise on you know how to guide these practices and methods that you guys are going with. Um, I think that's the, a really good combination um, to go yeah. with. Oh, thanks. I think as a, as a startup founder, like you just don't know what you don't know. And mm. so when you can bring some of the experts in, and I think there's a lot of companies out there that are pretty willing to give startups you know, a pretty good break at the moment as well to sort of help them get on their feet. And then once they do, you sort of, that shows a lot of goodwill and then you're willing to build a really strong relationship. You know, when you do go through your next rounds of funding and you've already got that relationship and that trust established, which I think is really important. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. So that, that brings us um, onto sort of your, your branding then. Um, <laughs> and yes, the, you know, the, the logo and the visual identity <laughs> yeah. and the messaging and all that type of stuff. So it would be the first question I would ask before I sort of hand over to Anna then is like, when did this, become a conversation was it your ux guys who sparked that conversation or was this like an internal thing that you or your co-founder brought up first yeah i think um probably driven but because the program that we were in is very much a funnel so you do step one you do step two then you end up at demo day and by demo day you need to have you know your decks together and you need to have you know a, a pitch that you do on stage in front of you know quite a few hundred people and that drives the branding conversation already awesome um, yeah yeah, so we, from our point of view, we wanted a name that could be .com, which is harder than it sounds these days. <laughs> yeah. Um, our name actually means in Latin to know or to be acquainted with, uh, which we thought for a due diligence platform was, you know, quite a strong um, relationship. It's easy to say, so it plays across multiple different countries because obviously we work in, in Asia and Asia is a very big continent with lots of different amazing diversity. So that was yeah. important for us as well. Um, and also it's... no. Notice is the is the kind of the um, the root, but then Notarium is the female version. And because there's two female founders, which is pretty rare in, in fintech, uh, we thought that'd be a nice way to kind of sh kind of show our, I guess. That's pretty cool. You know, feminine side, yeah. Definitely. And then we just went with the you know the traditional banking blue colours because trust and, and those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's um I think it's still a work in progress, but it's it's what we have for our MVP. Great. So so in terms of that, then uh, so you said that sort of had to be present at the time when you were putting the decks together and, and doing this first presentation. So in terms of the first execution of, of how that looks like, I have two questions. So is it the same 
um, to compare with what it was at the point when you initially had to put together that visual identity. Um, and if it's not, then what did that look like? I think it's largely the same. We did move from using our whole name to just the N. So that was kind of what was one kind of move that we've done. But mm -hmm. to be honest, we still use both depending on the, you know, the use case, whether it's, you know, you don't do letterheads much anymore, but in case you have more space, then you would use a longer name or just the N for like a smaller space. So I think it has stayed really very similar. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's because I haven't got a lot of marketing <laughs> PR advice on board as yet, but yeah. also um, we, you know, we think, we think it's good for, for what we have for now. Great. And uh, who helped you with that initially? Because I imagine it must have been like a very sort of quick thing. We, we just need something to, to make it look good, right? But how do we do it? Yeah, so we, um, because neither of us have any uh, artistic talents, we turn to an AI-generated app. So we basically mm -hmm. put in um, put it, you put in your details about the industry you work in, um, you know, a couple of colour schemes that you like, any other logos, you know, you go through and select a couple that you like the look of, and it, and it generates an, uh, a logo for you. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, and for example, to compare with like that initial version or initial sort of attempt at, at putting together the brand identity. So what does branding mean for you now? Does it mean more than just a logo or does it still have just a, the connotation with, you know, how we look and how we speak? Yeah, I think it has branding for me encompasses everything. So it's the, it's the look and feel of the company. It's the brand voice that we have as well. It's the content content that we put out to make sure that's always on brand. I think branding is, is, is everything for a company. It's, it's your, it's your face to the world. So it's so important that you get that right across so many different levels. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think in terms of the, the branding is, it's always very sort of tricky in that initial bit to get it quickly, get it right. And, you know, not sort of risk the damaging your sort of reputation from day one right but in terms of um now going into the content side so you you mentioned you're developing your content strategies and then looking at that sort of that content marketing there so could you tell us a little bit more about that so how are you going about um creating the content and what type of content is it that you you think you guys will be uh launching with and uh, developing yeah absolutely so i think we uh, we've really step, taken a step back from the business and looked at the key benefits of our business uh, we've realized that the, the key benefits to our business because we're enterprise solution the key benefits for you know decision decision maker versus the pnl holder versus someone that uses the technology are quite different so getting the branding around segmenting the benefits to each of those customers is, is quite can be quite tricky because you can't kind of, it's not a one size fits all approach. So we've done quite a bit of work into figuring out how we get the message across to the right people at the right time. Um, the other thing we've done is looked back and sort of said, you know, enterprise software is, is becoming a lot sexier these days than what it used to be. But what are the other things that we do that are, that are really, really cool? And like our global coverage, we cover 150 different countries. That's really cool. Wow. You know, we can help, as I said before, the mission driven is, you know, that's really cool. So we can also offer um, continuous, checks so once you've had someone on the platform checked once we can do them every day week month year so that's really cool um, solution so trying to think outside of the box a little bit rather than you know you put data in here and data comes out here in a much more organized fashion what else is it around the business that we do that can really um, keep people interested in, and get them interested in what and in what we're doing and more specifically why we're doing it absolutely i think that's a that's a great way of approaching it you know um certainly starting off i think you mentioned like by the sounds of it, you've got a ton of different use cases and a ton of different types of um, ideal 
I guess, audiences or buyer personas that you could actually be marketing to. So it could quickly, you know, the amount of content, <laughs> yeah. types of content and pillars that yeah. you create and insert marketing buzzword here, but there's like a ton yeah. of different things and so, that's, that's quite, can be quite overwhelming for sure. Yeah. Um, it's a blessing and a curse for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wicked. Um, all right then. So, so looking to the future um, for Notarum, um, you know, it would be good to discuss what's on the roadmap for you guys. I know we've mentioned that right now you're really trying to push the marketing um, and and get that up and running, turn it into a machine. So this is actually something that can help fuel the growth for your business. Um, But is there, is there anything else like, uh, you know, you you also mentioned that there's 150 companies um, that you're able to sort of work within um, or touch upon. Um, you know, what, how does how does it look like in the future? What's the, the roadmap for, for Notarum? Yeah, absolutely. So once again, we'll, we're turning to our customers to ask that exact question. Like, what is it that you need in the market at the moment? Mm. Um, and we're, we're seeing very common, like a lot of commonalities around that because a lot of com- a lot of companies focus i think particularly on the financial services market which is which is a huge opportunity for sure but there's also a lot of opportunity within the enterprise solution space and people care about this process because one there's a regulatory component people are forced to care because the government will give them huge fines if they if they onboard the wrong people but also there's the reputational side of what they're doing as well and people don't want to be working with people that have been up to no good that's yeah. that's the that's <laughs> the bottom line of it so companies even though they don't have a regulatory requirement to do these checks. A lot of them are doing it anyway because they realise that for every dollar that you're fined for a regulatory breach, you're actually fined, not fined, but the, the court of public perception, it costs you $4.5 more than the fine itself. And so that that also translates to not, not even a regulatory, regulatory fine, but for someone who's done something wrong and you've done business with them, that brand damage is expensive. It's, it's, it's not a free ride. So mm. actually doing some work up front and getting these people out of your ecosystem in the first place is, is great ROI for a business. So we're looking um, about you know, what we can do, other data sources we can bring on board, and then obviously partnerships we can create uh, within organizations to either funnel data into our system or to get our software into the hands of the customers. So we're looking for partners on both ends of the spectrum. Okay, awesome. Um, and diving, before we, we sort of wrap up the show, um, diving like slightly more personally over your journey um, in, 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 in the, you know, the year and a half that you've been um, <laughs> building Notarum, yeah. what, what are some of the nuggets of advice that you could distill from that journey for the audience? Oh God, where do I start? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think the one I tapped on before, which was startups are an absolute contradiction. And mm-hmm. a lot of the time you're going to get so much conflicting advice from people. It's, it's unbelievable. So you really have to have a good um, head on your shoulders and just go with your gut a lot of the time as well. Take that instinct. And I think when it comes down to it, you need to make sure you're asking the right advice from the right people. So before I wanted to start this company, there was probably a year or a year and a half that I knew I wanted to do this company. And I was thinking about it and, you know, asking people at my my office and asking, you know, my friends and family if they thought it was a good idea, but none of them saw the key pain point that I saw every day for 12 hours Mm -hmm. a day. And so asking the wrong people, they were kind of like, yeah, it's kind of a weird idea, but maybe it'll work. (laughs) But then when you start to ask the right people and then you start to do some research into it and you realize, hey, this is, you know, this is a substantial issue across every single country in the world. This is a massive opportunity. And so I think asking the right advice from the right people is is crucial. Incredible. That's that's actually um, a really valuable piece of advice. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's simple. It sounds yeah. simple, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I think people tend to turn to people that they know rather than experts. And I think the other thing, my other piece of advice would just be like, 
beat down every door you can. I mean, people are so willing, they're so generous with their time um, that you, if you can have just a five minute conversation with someone, it might just really completely reshape your the way you look at something or the way you look at an opportunity or the way you don't do something, which is often you know the better of the two options and I think we as startup founders are always willing to just go 100 miles ahead but if you can have that kind of that slight kind of tap back into you know a different kind of slightly different track sometimes that's absolutely time well spent. So a huge thank you to Notarum for speaking to us you can find them online at notarum.com. You're listening to the Digital Spaceship Podcast, a marketing journal by Blue Drop Studio, a digital marketing and creative content agency based in London, UK. We're on a mission to grow the tech brands of tomorrow with creative content and social media advertising. Check us out on LinkedIn and bluedropstudio.com or hit us up on social at HeyBlueDrop on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Your hosts are at Anna Rowinska and at Omar K. Juman. If you want to talk about digital marketing for your brand, drop us a line at hello at bluedropstudio.com. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.